to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, I love, love, love to hear about what is going on in, in various ministries uh, that we are able to partner with and privileged to partner with. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians. You thought I was going to say Revelation, maybe. Probably not. Um, after spending many, many weeks in Daniel and Revelation, we're going to spend several weeks studying the book of Colossians this morning. Uh, Colossians is an amazing letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. Now, it's interesting because the church at Colossae is probably one of the smallest, least, quote unquote, important churches in the ancient uh, Asia Minor area. Uh, one scholar um, said that there's probably about 45 people within this church, you know, based upon various archaeological evidence. And, and then that's a guess. But it's probably comprised of a couple of house churches. Believers who gather in, in small communities uh, in this area of Colossae. And what Paul is going to write to them is he's going to tell them over and over and over and over again that Christ is your life. Christ is all you need. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn above creation. By him and through him, to him are all things. He's going to take this group of 45 believers or so, and he's going to point them, redirect them. And we'll talk about why he's redirecting them in the course of our study. But he's going to redirect them to not a doctrine, not a creed, but to a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Because at the center of our faith, it's not just a doctrinal statement. It's not just, I believe this. At the center of our faith is a person who literally came and gave his life. He died, he rose again so that we could have life. And Colossians chapter 3 is going to say, when Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. But I've been stuck on this phrase, Christ who is your life. Christ who is your life. This doesn't mean that he's just like someone distant out there. It means that we actually walk with him. Um, one scholar described the book of Colossians in this way, kind of the, over, um, the overall message of the letter. He summarized by saying Christ is supreme, Christ is sufficient, and Christ should be applied to every aspect of our walk. Every aspect of our walk, which means tangible feet on the ground, not just theology up in the sky. Now, Colossians has some amazing theology, but what Paul is always moving people towards is he's moving them towards walking with a person, the person of Jesus. Um, some scholars would say um, that the central verse of Colossians is this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Sometimes it's hard to pick a favorite or a central verse of, of a message of a book because there's many things going on. But I think this summarizes it well. Many times when I show you this, I often like highlight the verbs. But as I was going through in, in preparing for today... I wanted to highlight not the verbs, but I wanted to highlight the core of what Colossians is all about. Christ Jesus the Lord, walk, in him, rooted and built up, in him, 
and, and established in the faith just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. As we read through Colossians, we have to always remember it's all about our position of being in Christ and our walk with him. That's what he's inviting these Colossian believers to. And so we're going to be studying this for the next several weeks together. And, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, in many ways... Colossians is going to help describe what being a Christ-centered follower is of Jesus. You know, a Christ-centered follower of Jesus. You can tell people who are just amazingly Christ-centered. You know, when you start talking with someone and, and pretty soon the joy of the Lord just kind of begins to bubble out of them. You go, hang on a second, there's something else going in your life besides the weather today. You might be talking to someone and, and in, even in the hard, difficult seasons of life, there, there's a quiet trust. It's someone who just exudes the fact that Christ is their life. Uh, we, we, we can tell when people are Christ-centered because oftentimes they naturally bring up Jesus and what he's doing in their life. It's not about a formula. It's not about a, a, a list of rules. It's about a person. It's about a person in whom they find life. Uh, in fact, Romans, in, in the book of Romans, Paul says that the, that the kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. One of the, I think, the three great markers of a Christian are righteousness. In, in other words, they, they're, they're walking in a way that matches their talk. Peace, man, oh, peace is a struggle for many of us. It's really easy to be shifted by the anxious times that we live in. But someone who has a peace, a peace that transcends all understanding, that guards their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4 says, that, that's something that's pretty attractive and it's something that you spot pretty quickly. Uh, and joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is, God, regardless of what is going on in my life, <laughs> you are good. You are in control. God, I trust you. It's more of a demeanor of how we walk. Um, and so Paul is going to be addressing this church, and he's going to be giving them some encouragements to, to come back to right doctrine. He's going to tell them, let your walk and your talk be equal to one another. Um, and he's going to keep pointing them back to the sufficiency of Christ in all things. Paul is writing this. And he's writing from an area in the center of our screen here. I think I've got a little clicker. Colossae is right here in the very center. I wanted you to see the whole thing here because this gives a description of Paul's ministry. This is taken from the Satellite Bible Atlas. And this shows Paul's third missionary journey. And he's kind of headed that way, going towards Ephesus. And Paul goes past Colossae. Um, Paul's probably not the founder of the Colossian church, but he certainly has discipled people who are instrumental to this community at Colossae. But Colossae is a small town right here. It was once a great city, and it's right next to two other big cities. One of them is Hierapolis. I know you probably can't see that because I can barely see it. Um, and then this one is Laodicea right in here. So we have Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. It's part of this kind of tri-cities region. They're all, without, they're all within about 15 miles of one another. These are real places. Um, Colossae, back in the latter part of the before Christ era, um, it was a great city according to the um, 
the, the scholars of that day. It was known for its wool production and it was known for the dyeing of cloth. When we looked at Laodicea, there's a lot of the same stuff going on in Laodicea as well. It, it's in this amazing Lycus River Valley. Um, this right here is Mount Cadmus and this is the Tell. Tell is just like the ancient city that's covered up by a whole bunch of dirt on a mound. Um, this is the Tell of Colossae. They actually haven't really done much excavation there. So I don't, throughout this time, I won't have a ton of like fun show fun photos to show you, but you can just see the lushness of this area. It's also very prone to earthquakes, which makes it very fun to live there. Uh, so I hear uh, it gets rocking pretty good. Um, but, <laughs> but I wanted you to, to see it because it's helpful to put our eyes on something. When Paul is writing a letter to someone, he, he's writing to real people who live in real times, who live through real things. With all that said, would you stand with me for the reading of the scriptures? We're going to begin our study in the book of Colossians together. Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved in, for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. These are the words of the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance to, be, to begin to open this book, um, to begin to, to hear your message to the believers at Colossae, and to hear what you have this, to, this morning to say to us, the believers in Christ in Zealand. And God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to set upon the truth of your word, that we might go out and we might walk with you and in a way of living that reflects the work of God in our life. We bless you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, there's a little bit about Colossae, this Roman city in Asia Minor on the Cadmus, or at the foot of Mount Cadmus, uh, near the Lycus River. Um, this is a significant city, but as I, as I mentioned, it, it was significant, and then it actually dropped in significance. And so as we enter the first century AD and the subsequent centuries, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller uh, in terms of its importance and in terms of its size. And so Paul's writing to a, a what's probably a largely Gentile city, but there's a lot of Jewish people in this whole area around um, around Colossae. Uh, but he's writing to them, and he's going to begin this, um, this letter as many ancient Greek letters do, and he's going to begin it with this, this address, Paul, right? This is who's writing. And he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is someone who, who the, the idea of the word means to be a sent one. He, he's a sent one of the Messiah Jesus. And, and he says here, by God's will. 
So he has a certain message. Uh, it's the message of Jesus. It's the gospel. The gospel that transformed his life is the message that he goes and he shares with everyone, including these believers in this letter, because he believes that it's the message in the person of Jesus that will transform their life. But, but he does this by God's will. He, he does this by God's will. And next week, we're going to look at a prayer that Paul is going to pray. And, and he actually prays in verse 9 or so. I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Paul desires to know how God wants him to walk. Right? He, he doesn't want to walk over here while God is over here. Not that God is separate from a believer, but he doesn't want to be about Paul's life when God wants Paul over here. And in fact, we see this many times in Paul's um, life. One time he wanted to go into a certain section and the Holy Spirit said, nope, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go over here instead. So what we see modeled in Paul's life is a, all right, Lord, what next? All right, Lord, what next? It, not, not an agenda of, I have to do this because I'm Paul and I must go, but a, a passion to take the name of Jesus because that's what was foremost on his mind and on his heart to wherever God would send him. And, and he writes this, this message of Jesus to a group of people. And it says here in verse two, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers. Now, when we think of the word saint, there's typically a lot of history behind this world, this word in our world today. You know, in some traditions, you're a saint if you do a certain amount of like miracles that can be confirmed and, and you're like an extra super holy person or something like that. Um, when Paul addresses the believers in Colossae, he calls them saints. That's their identity. And in fact, he's going to say that again in verse 4. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So he's writing to the saints about the saints. He's saying, I've heard that you are saints and I've heard that you love one another and that you're faithful to Christ Jesus. The word saints in Greek is the word agios. Can you say agios? There we go. Okay. Agios. And it means to be holy or it means to be a saint uh, if, if you take it in, in a noun form. It, right here it's an adjective form. And it means to be dedicated or consecrated to the service of God. You could think of it this way. Uh, uh, when um, something is agios, it has been prepared for use for a specific reason. Right? It, it's... It's sometimes described as like if you are, if you're going to cook with something, um, you take your dirty pot and you prepare it, you make it clean, right and ready for service. Now, the amazing thing is, is that Paul describes this to be the identity of these believers. This isn't something that they, oh, God, I sinned again. Now I'm going to have to come over here and God's going to have to clean me up again. I'm going to be a saint again. No, he actually says, and let me get the, um, the verse. Look down with me just in your Bibles here at verse 21. At verse 21 of Colossians 1, it says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. In other words, you used to walk in a former way. You used to be separated from God, both in your minds and in your actions. You were hostile. And he says in verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death, right? So he's talking about the once for all completed work of Jesus that applies to the life of a person when they trust him. He says, I, he has reconciled you. In other words, he's taken someone who's far and he's brought him near by his physical body through his death to present you 
agios, holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are new in Christ, the way God looks at you and the way God looks at me is he sees you as holy. He sees you as dedicated or consecrated to the service of God. Now that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with because we say, God, you've said I'm holy, but do you know what I said last night? <laughs> do you know what I thought this morning? Do you know the ways in which I try to pursue my own ends apart from you? And the answer is, of course he knows. <laughs> but he's talking to people who've been taken out of a former way of living and whose identity has been renewed. You, 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 we're not just renewed, we're actually made new. Which is why Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with our flesh. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with the action of sin. But what it means is that when God looks at you and he looks at me, he looks at us and he says, you are my child. You are holy, you are faultless, and you are blameless. And for me, that actually takes a lot of pressure off because it makes me go, wait, God, I don't have to earn your love? No, because you never can anyway. Before you're saved, you can't earn God's love. After you're saved, you can't earn God's love. It means, God, that I don't have to do all these lists of rules in order to be acceptable by you? No. Now, the other thing that it introduces too is, well, God, does that mean that I can sin? No, <laughs> right? Paul actually puts it this way. Um, as elders, we, were, we, we did a, a mini retreat last weekend to study Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 together. And Paul makes the argument in Romans, he says, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, God forbid, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But we have to understand that while we do not have license to sin, we are not measured by what we do. God looks at us because of our trust in his son and in his son alone to pay for our sins. He looks at us and he calls us saint. He looks at us, he, he calls us agios. He looks at us and he says, you are dedicated and consecrated to the service of God. Now, what that means then is it's a partnership with God to say, all right, Lord, how, how would you consecrate me to service now? <laughs> And now, and that's probably where we struggle the most because it means that there's a practical giving up of ourselves day by day that says, God, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. What would you have me do? And God often calls us to crazy things when we yield our lives to him for his glory. He calls us to deal with sin. He calls us to be kind to people that we might struggle with. He, he, he calls us to forgive. He calls us to a whole bunch of stuff, but he never calls us to walk out this new life apart from him. In fact, it's not even that we live for Jesus. It's that we live from Jesus. We live from his life. His life becomes our life lived in and expressed through us, through our personalities, through our life. It's, it's kind of like um, as we grow as a follower of Jesus, we, we have this closer and closer and closer and closer relationship with him that we just sense, yeah, I need to go. I, I, I need to go make that right. My, my grandma 
who is with the Lord now, um, she, she was a spitfire. Uh, she was a, she was, I, I love my grandparents on both sides. She was a spitfire though. And she would tell you exactly what she thought. And sometimes that got her in trouble. <laughs> and I remember one time I was in trouble because I had smarted off to my grandmother and she, she gave me some words back of needed correction. And, and even my grandpa, the most gentle person in the whole wide world, didn't, he's like, yep, your grandmother's right, <laughs> you know? And five minutes later, I'm getting some water at the, um, at the fridge. And my grandmother comes up to me, she'd been downstairs, and she comes up to me and she says, Jeremy, I didn't handle that the way I should have. And I said, no, no, you were good. <laughs> She's like, no, I wasn't. The reason I tell you that is because as a saint of God, she had such a leading of the spirit to know when she messed up. Because the closer her walk got with the Lord, the smaller things and the larger things were like, oh yeah, Lord, I need to go deal with that. Now, she's not a saint because she did that. She was a saint already before that. She was a, a holy one, dedicated, or dedicated and consecrated for the service of God. And yet, as her life grew to, more, to look more and more like Jesus, the natural outcome was, all right, Lord, here I go into this. And here I go into this. This is kind of the picture of what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus in relationship with him. So these people are called saints. They're also called faithful. The word faithful here is the word pistos, and it means trustworthy, faithful, dependable, inspiring trust, or inspiring faith. He, th these are the descriptions that Paul gives to the believers at Colossae. And actually, I like that he says faithful brothers. So, so these people who, who are dependable, who inspire trust and who inspire faith. But this idea of brothers uh, is, is not just a word that means, hey, we're related by blood or something like that. In, in this context, it can be indicated uh, as membership in a Christian community or, or a fellow believer, or as one scholar says, those who believe in Christ, even as we do. And what's important here is he starts off with, here's who you are. You are a saint, but guess what? You're not the only one. You are a part of a brethren. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, some translations will say. This is the general word that applies to both men and women. And he's wanting to, to th for them to know this letter's not just to you, Ken, or to you, Alex, or to you. Everybody's like, don't say my name. No, just kidding. Um, this letter's not just to you. It's to you and it's to you all. Because he cares about this Christian community. He cares about the love that they have for one another. He cares about how they interrelate for the cause of Christ. Make sense? Good. Hope so. Um, he invites this least important church, perhaps to which any epistle of Paul is written. He invites them to hear some words. And he begins all these things by just some opening comments. So he calls them saints. He calls them faithful brothers, people who, who come from the same spiritual place in Christ. And he says, grace and peace to you from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And I love that because Paul cares about believers who are in a different city than him. He cares about the work of God throughout the world. He says, when we pray for you, we always thank God for you. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Most often than not, 
Paul addresses really challenging things, which he will throughout the course of this letter, by encouragement. And he comes, oh man, we have heard about your faith. In other words, the way that you are trusting Jesus is evident in how you walk Colossians or Colossian believers. And he says, and the love that you have for all the saints the love that you have for all the saints. This is a person who recognizes that one of the markers of a Christian community is the love that they have for one another. Jesus will actually say in uh, one of the gospels, he'll say, you will know, uh, people will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. And that love overflows from what Christ has done in our lives. Verse five says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. In, in other words, how we love one another is always tied back to what Christ has done in our life. It's always tied back to this spiritual root that we have in Christ. But, but Paul wants these believers to know, hey, you guys together as a community, you may be small, but you matter to the kingdom. You, you may be few in number compared to maybe the church at Ephesus or maybe the church in, in Athens or maybe the church in Jerusalem. But guess what? You have riches that God wants to reveal to you. In fact, he's going to, his desire is going to be to present this church as a mature in Christ. The smallest church can be absolutely mature in Christ because it's the work of God in their midst. They may not have all, all the programs of a Western church. They may not have all the, the extra bells and whistles, if you were, that help us move there in different ways. But when the center is Christ and his life in the gospel, there's fruit that is born from these believers. In fact, he says here in verse, um, verse five, because of the hope in heaven reserved for you, you have already heard about this hope in the message of truth. In other words, the gospel that has come to you. And he says, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. When Paul thinks about the work of God, Here's his vantage point. Now, he cares about the small church, churches in Colossae. But he cares about the entire movement of God throughout the world. Paul zeroes in that of prime importance is your walk and my walk personally with God. Secondly, what is of prime importance is our walk with God with each other because it represents something to a world who looks at believers. And when we walk in, in a manner keeping with, with what God would have us do, people go and they say, what? You do what? How is it that you have that love for one another when everyone around us is polarized? How is it that you can be Republican and Democrat or independent? How is it that you can like spicy food or not spicy food? How is it that you can, um, yeah, I'm running out of examples in my head. Think of some examples. How is it that we can hold all the different things that we hold and yet have a oneness? And it's because of Christ. It's because Christ is maturing each one of us in our own way, not to look more like a system of the world or to look like a party of the world, but to look more like him. One person, me or anyone else, would be pretty 
challenged to meet the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical needs of a community. But Paul writes this letter to a group of people whose life is founded on the gospel, who have recognized God's grace in truth. And he says, we thank God for you because we've heard of your love for Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. And because of a shared passion to make Jesus known to a community, he's writing to this small church that, that has an effect on the people around them. And he's going to give them several commands in our upcoming times that we're going to look at about what it means to be rooted and grounded in him, what it means to, to, to walk after him and with him in relationship. And here's where I want to leave us for this morning. Paul's context for ministry when he's writing this letter is right here. Paul's heart for kingdom ministry is right here. And actually what we know about a lot of the early church, um, work that began down here in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, we see go up and we see it go south. We see it come around these hills and these mountains. We see it go across these rivers. What is the work that God would call you and I to today? And that may look like something incredibly local. It may be something directly involved with your family. It may look like something involved within this church family. It may look like something that is much wider than that. I'm grateful that we've been able to partner with people like Kevin, but not just Kevin. We've been able to partner with the Rashers as they have served faithfully, uh, even until um, Keith Rasher's last days uh, when he passed away a couple weeks ago. Even, even until those days, he was discipling people, followers of Jesus in the Middle East, to better share and inculcate, that's a big Keith word, and inculcate the message of the gospel. We partner with people in Montana. We partner with people in uh, Asia. We partner with people in North Africa and in Central Africa. We partner with people all over this world, all over our nation, down in Mexico and Arizona. We, we, we partner with people in the Russia area. We partner with people but they're just an extension of something that God wants to do here. They're a part of us as we are a part of them. And my question to you today is, where would God have you walk this next week, in this next season? And would you say, God, here I am. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to tug on your heart and say, here's how I want you to walk faithfully today. Here's how I want you to walk in your workplace. Here's where I want you to walk in your community. Here, here's how I want you to faithfully represent the fruit-bearing gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Ken said a little bit earlier, he said, would you renew your walk with Jesus today? Renew was such a great word because there's many times where we get stagnant. Many times it becomes a normal thing. And, and God just says, would you come back to me? Would you come back and renew your life with me? You're already a saint. But come back in relationship to the one who says, 
I want you to walk with me and experience the peace and the power and the joy of walking in my spirit. So that, because for Paul, it's always incredibly practical. So that being rooted and built up in him, those of us who have received Christ Jesus the Lord, we walk in him for the betterment of the work of God in the world. This was Paul's context for ministry. What is your context for ministry today? Will you say, God, here I am. Our Father and our King, we pray that you would reveal to us uniquely, God, the way in which you would have us walk. And maybe the question, Lord, is not so much where you would have us walk, though we might struggle with that, and we might be wrestling through that, not where, but, but maybe more how. And Lord, you've called us to come to you. You've, you've told us that you bless the work that you have given us to do. And so God, we don't want to waste our time pursuing our own ends. We want our lives to be intentionally kingdom-oriented here this week. God, would you prompt through the work of your spirit, would you prompt us through your word, prompt us through the spirit to know what faithful walking with you looks like. Not to earn your love, but, but faithfulness that, that lives from who we are. Saints of God, set apart for intentional purpose because you have cleansed and you have redeemed and you have fit us for service. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.